Good morning. Good morning. Happy Sunday, Sussex Squad. Sussex Squad Nation, Sussex Squad supporters. OMG. What an incredible week we just had. How brilliant. How exciting. How determined was our boy. Prince Harry, the King of King, the Savior. He is. You guys are looking at me. I'm telling you really right now. He's fighting for every one of us. For what all of us have been through with the media. For everybody who have been affected by the tabloid media and those who have passed who didn't live to see it. It was incredible. So guys, how are you doing? Charles, George. I'm exhausted. Well, that just is a, just a just normal exhausted. thing here. Well, yeah, I know. But it, it's so funny because you ask the same thing every week, and I feel like I give you the same comment every week, That and, and George as well. Like, basically, I'm always tired, and he's always hungry. Like, those <laughs> are basically the two, the, 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 the two things that basically happens every week. And either, I have to say, I'm keeping up. <laughs> I'm sticking with that answer. Either hungry you know, or recently sated. One of the two. But it's almost always going to be chocolate or hamburgers. There's two things going to happen. People are going to end up really, especially for you, Josh. When people finally find out who you are and see what you look like. They're going to send me They're going to be tips. mad at you. No, they're going <laughs> to be very, very mad at you. Just buy me Weight Watchers. Because they're going to feel like, wait a minute. Either you explain to them where the food goes, or there's a real problem here. But anyway, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. This week's had a, had some highs, had some lows, but been riding the wave and trying to maintain the, an even keel, uh, as always. Um, but excited to be here with you both now, and and very excited for this this service in in particular. To your point, it's been an an in from Prince Harry's perspective, anyway, been a particularly eventful and exciting week. It was, it was, and we are everywhere, all the time. And I'm not talking about us here, as much as we like for us, but the Sussex Squad. They are everywhere. And, oh my God, it was shot fire. But you would not know it, right? Because listening to the media, you would think that, you know what, nothing actually happened. Nothing actually took place. So it was the same old tired talk. So, Charles. We. Oui. Can you please report on <laughs> what is it? What's the name? What? What's the name? What are you talking of about? The segment, the Churchinelli report. There it is. Charles saved you. <laughs> <laughs> she gets it right. I don't know what you're talking about. Look at that face. The guilty, guilty smile <laughs> over there. Uh, she totally knows. That's not. 
literally, he's just I'm giving a you a hard time. Of course, I know. I'm high in caffeine at the moment, and you picking on me. That's it's our job. Been, that's that's there, that good comes with it. You guys are terrible. But anyway, um, yes. So let's see what. <laughs> You're literally staring at me for no reason. All right, giggle box. Let's go. Oh my god. The setting is Sussex Squad, Sussex Squad Nation. I have one person to my right, and the other one, it's right across of me. And all eyes. <laughs> Just to be clear for everyone listening and very confused what all the laughter is about. It's nothing. Uh, <laughs> There's literally nothing going on right There's, now. <laughs> there, there is literally nothing happening, but it's also, it is the result of a complete lack of sleep. Um, and so also a, a reiteration of the thank you for the, the well wishes and the, the support from everyone who's been telling Lady Sussex to get sleep. She has not heeded those instructions as of yet. Um, but that is just because she is very dedicated to her work, but as she is, uh, has certain effects. And so right now she is doing her best to contain herself, but is probably going to keep giggling. It's early morning and we try to get, try to get this done at the time for them to receive it. So, yeah. So what is, um, going on in Church and Nelly report? What? <laughs> Churchinelli report. Sure. So first and foremost, um, I feel that it is our duty to give you all a public service announcement, uh, as reported by Baron at Royal Sussex. So apparently there is a fraudulent GoFundMe running around the internet these days, and it's called Go Get Em Harry. And apparently they're trying to take advantage of the feelings around the court case and capitalize on the generosity and the passion of the Sussex squad. So please take care and spread the word. Huh. What they don't realize is, is that, you know, the Sussex squad vet everyone and everything and everybody. And it seems like they, they still don't, well, it's not their fault. They still don't get and understand who we are, what we're doing. And we are not one of those. Yeah. We, so, they, yeah, we good thoroughly try. do our uh, thoroughly research basically everything. Um, so we have that. Uh, and then something a little bit more upbeat is that um, the weekly update for the Kaboom fundraiser is that we have currently raised over $132,000. Oh my God. Which is pretty amazing. It's Ooh. pretty, pretty extravagant, really. It's crazy. So just congratulations to everyone involved. That is absolutely remarkable. And there is another congratulation. Do you realize our boy, Royal Sussex, just hit 34,000 subscribers and count. That's amazing. Congratulations, Baron. Oh, my God. I want to scream. And I know you guys are looking at me. What is wrong with you? Because a win for any of the Sussex squads. It's a win for all of us here, for everyone. And specifically, when it comes to Baron, you know, I can't, re I mean, I'm waiting for the 100,000. I think he might make it. I think he will make it. 
Not in mind. He will make it by the end of the year. The end of the year. You I heard it here first, folks. I want him <clears throat> to have the – there's something that you get at 100000 I think he was saying it on a couple weeks ago. I think it's – it's something YouTube give you. Yeah, what, it's like a. Is, I, for, I know that they. I think you get platinum at a million, gold at a hundred thousand. And he like was that. talking about he wants it, and I want him for. I want it for him. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Come on, guys, deal. let's do it. Let's do it. But you know, <laughs> the, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I think if he hit hundred thousand guys, you know what I'm gonna do, right? I'm going to party all night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. I haven't been to a party in a long time. You're going to have a party all by yourself. Oh, Fantastic. God. You guys kill it for me. But anyway, congratulations. Yes. My brother, yes. my boy, love you. So come on. Let's go. What else? Yes. So, uh, in addition to that, in terms of Kaboom, uh, the Invictus Games, uh, which is being in, uh, held in Vancouver, Whistler, 2025, have announced that four host, um, I'm sorry, that four host First Nations artists have been chosen to work together to create and design the visual identity for the games. Huh. Yeah. So is that First for Nations the Invictus? Being, yeah, I'm sorry? Is that for the um, Winter Invictus game? I Not think? the Winter, but yes, the Invictus Games in oh. Whistler. Whistler. Which okay. is in British Columbia. Okay. So the four the four um, the four persons participating is Levi Nelson, and you have Olivia George, mm-hmm. Mac Paul, mm-hmm. and Ray Nataro. Uh, we're all selected at an open call for artist submissions released by the organizing committee last fall. It is a first of its kind inclusive initiative for the Invictus Games, as well as first of its kind for the First Nations involved, as they will be developing one comprehensive identity that represents each of the nations. The First Nations leaders sat on a selection committee and led the process of choosing the participant artist, uh, reviewing the submissions based on experience and ideas, and the artist submitted proposals to help build the visual identity that will flow through the games through marketing and all the other activation channels. Uh, And the concept of the visual identity will be based on a connection of shared journeys of recovery that Invictus competitors and their family travels. Uh, and the remarkable achievement that arrival at the, both the start and the finish line of the game represents for them. So overall, I think it's pretty cool. Beautiful. Has beautiful. everyone bought their tickets for Dusseldorf? <laughs> well, they're going really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's barely place. I mean, well, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf. I love the. It's just such a fun name, Dusseldorf. That's a great name. Yes. So, uh, and then last, but certainly not least, uh, and what we all know is, of course, the court case. So, for two days this week, it was an intense week. Uh, Harry himself said that it was a lot, uh, and there's a lot of content out there in terms of how he did and what the impact's going to be, but I think, actually, CNN summed it up the best so far, uh, and this is what they said. Whether he wins the case is for the court to decide, but after two days in the witness box, he has once more triggered a conversation about journalistic practices, and he may ultimately succeed in helping change the approach in the long run. Absolutely. So I thought that was just a very nice encapsulation as to whether or not even... When was that reported? uh, 
It was today, I believe. Today or yesterday. <laughs> That's what I find quite interesting because you have the New York Times, you have CNN, I believe the Independent, they all decided to put their report today. Well, well it thank was a, you. It was actually on the 7th, just on to the be clear. Okay. It was well, on the 7th. thank you for that. I mean, you know, my love for the New York Times. Thank you. However, it would have been nice if we were able to actually get much more detail, much more reporting in depth during the week instead of sitting down and listening to these I'm not going to say hacks. <laughs> we'll just call them hacks. So, is that all? That is a wrap for the Church and Alley Report this week. Bravo. Hope you enjoyed it. By the way, I believe our girl is doing very, very good because she's been in the comment of uh, a lot. And I could hear um, Baron, you know, laughing and just speaking on her and, you know, everything else. There is something about pickles that was going on. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but it sounds quite fun and quite funny. But anyway, so I hope you're really doing really well. <clears throat> oh my goodness. My voice is cracking now. So, Josh. Yeah. On to the next. The next uh, we have actually uh, to thank, as always, all of our incredible subscribers and especially our members, including our newest member, Travel Shamo. And thank you. And and just on on that uh, note specifically, we did read your uh, your comment, uh, Travel Chamo, in terms of uh, when you had uh, said just before you became a member, um, and that sort of experience you had sharing our service with your parents and what that was like and how that kind of fostered a dialogue and actually a productive conversation. And uh, that's music to our ears because that is exactly what the kind of thing that we want to happen. What we're trying to uh, create more of is that meaningful conversation. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. Um, and thank you for joining uh, as a member. Thank you. Amen. And, Actually, I'm going to go right into comments because there are so, so, so many good comments uh, to read uh, from from last week. And unfortunately, I had to only pick four just for time constraints. But thank you, everybody, again, for everything that you write. And it really does mean uh, so much to us. Because we do read literally every comment. Sometimes multiple keep... times. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. We're like calling each other. It's like, did you see this comment? Did you see that comment? Did you see... It's so much fun. It is. It really is. So the first comment for this week is uh, actually from Bryce Thompson, who actually wrote specifically for, he wrote, for Sunday, uh, June 11th, tabloid quote-unquote work and its tentacles is an individual and societal cancer that must be eradicated by all means necessary. If this is your means to put food on the table, what does that say about you? Thank you, Prince Harry, for being the warrior king that you have become with your queen by your side in support, encouragement, and true love. Mm. Isn't that the truth? And that is the shortest of all of our comments today because we have, we have some wonderful ones. Uh, the next one is from Diane Hawkins, who wrote, uh, Thank you so much for this very important podcast, which I always catch on replay, uh, but enjoy immensely. 
Projection is a very important word for us to consider as the silly saison season looms large in the UK. While most of us in the squad clearly understand that the derangers know zero about what is really going on in Montecito, there are many others who are clueless and simply uh, because of a narrative is repeated loudly and often start to buy into the nonsense. We, of course, remember that the Sussexes had moved to L.A., for example, while royal experts, quote-unquote, chatted nonstop about their tortured existence in Canada. Following, they claimed to have insight into every aspect of life inside Tyler Perry's home when the Sussexes had, in fact, long long since taken up residence in Montecito. Even when the Sussexes were still in Windsor living up under the uh, A, uh, asterisk, asterisk, clowns' noses, Doria came and went unnoticed, as did Oprah many times, Hillary Clinton, and many other notables. It's comical that if so-called royal experts, who also call themselves journalists, tried in the slightest, actual truth would often be staring them in their demented faces. Yet, they bury their noses ostrich deep and lie nonstop without cause. Thus, armed with this knowledge, it was clear to me upon hearing the troubled marriage was all about the Shambridges, and dare I say to a lesser extent, trouble might also be brewing up in Mistress Manor, a.k.a. Maison de Omila. Harry said, with the whole chest, that trash step which is trouble. I wouldn't put it past her to stir up trouble to new levels with Billy and his current albatross of a wife, just so people dare not think of her as the home-wrecking mistress, but new generations can have a replacement mistress in the form of Rose the current side piece, and hoe in the making. (laughs) Yes, friends, stay tuned, because the projections are shining as bright as a drive-in movie in the middle of a desert. There's more to come, and I'm here for all of it. Follow the breadcrumbs straight to the witch's gingerbread house. You can't make this stuff up. Mm. Amen to that. (laughs) Uh, On a slightly different note, we also had a wonderful comment from Serengeti, uh, who wrote... Uh, I agree with Maria Mavrogenesis' statement wholeheartedly, which was a comment we read last week. Serengeti wrote, In my opinion, there is an omnipotent creator source some people call God who created the universe, not an invisible man whom people call upon to take care of their problems. Being that we are created by that powerful energy source, we are the ones with the voice given to us by the, by the benevolent creator source to speak up and hold malevolent, evil, vile people accountable for their hateful actions and opinions. Thoughts form into words, words form into mantras, prayers used to work uh, alongside the omnipotent creator source uh, slash God energy to help create the change you want. An invisible man, God, hasn't done it in over 2,000 years and is not going to change anything for you now. Jesus said, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in response to the Pharisees asking when the kingdom of God will come. The saying has numerous explanations, as including the enlightenment is within you, in your heart, and your spark of God has always been there. Use that God, creator, source, slash spark to usher in and make change. You've been given the power. Use it through thought and prayer and stop saying God will take care of it. (laughs) Hallelujah. And our last comment is from, can you guess? Of course. Maddie. (laughs) Is from Maddie B, who wrote in, said, Amen. Praise the Lord, O my soul. There is none greater than you. Thank you, Lady Sussex, Charles, and George, for yet another anointed service. You are the truth squad. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, the hand of God's on everything you do. What a blessing. My sincere condolences to Cookies and Cream on the loss of her father. Heavenly Father, please hold her close and allow her to feel your presence in this time of sorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is so much truth in everything you covered beautifully today. The royal family has its longstanding generational customs slash traditions that influence every move they make. They appear, they appear archaic to us in a modern world, but to them it seems normal. 
They come across as cannibalistic, feeding their own to the tabloid rags in an effort to discredit any sign that could possi- that they could possibly be flawed. It's worse than abusive, it's evil. Abuse is used to rob someone of their power over you. We know the author, who the author of the lie is. The devil has been influencing the royal family for a millennium. He feels right at home behind those palace walls. Can you imagine how differently things would be if the royal family had handled Diana, Harry, Meghan, and their precious children with love? Thank God Harry and Meghan are out of there. I don't believe reconciliation with that family is possible. We only need to recall the abuse Harry and Meghan suffered on the world stage during the royals' funerals and the Queen's Jubilee to know more of what awaits them if they fall for any type of olive branch. I'm lifting Harry up in prayer as he begins his court testimony this week in the UK. We need to stay vigilant as he is up against a gr- ancient and mighty dark force. But, as today's song said, there is none greater than you, Lord. Amen. Let's get the service started. What are you waiting to look at me for? <laughs> you have to give, the, when, when I say this, let's get the service started, you always say, no, not now, because... Oh. You have to do the disclaimer. Oh, yeah. Well, you're not the only one who's tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. Thank wait, you, wait, Matt. Wait, 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 wait. Let's get the service started. Wait, 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 wait. wait. You can't get the service started until we remind everyone. If it's not clear already, it should be that we are not experts. And we are not here to change anyone's beliefs. But we are here to encourage a pause and a reflection um, and dialogue and to really consider the words that are being used because as Serengeti uh, put so beautifully that those words become actions uh, and in an effort to make the world a better place, we want to better understand those words. Amen. Come on, let's do it. Don't be afraid. We are society. Built on love, built on tolerance, built on love, each other, acceptance. Give them love, give them love. Don't matter what you look like. No matter what you believe, but just believe in love. I'm talking to Philly. I'm talking to London. I'm talking to DC. Paris, Berlin. And we can always be together. We can always give love. And we want you to Sussex Squad, Sussex Squad Nation, Sussex Squad supporters. Today we have two incredible really impactful words, words that we are very familiar with. We have talking points and victory. Victory, we associate, or at least for me, myself, sport or just winning a job, winning a trophy. Um, talking point something I come to realize that the media, they do a lot. They're talking point. So Charles, how should we look at talking points? What 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 does that mean? Sure. I've gone a little bit in depth here, just just to make sure everyone's clear in terms of what, what it actually is. Uh, but first, it was actually used in 1914, and it's derived from English. So actually, um, we actually came up with it. Uh, and what a talking point is, is a specific topic raised in a conversation or argument, which is intended as a basis for further discussion, especially when 
especially one that represents a point of view. So basically it's just help a further proof point. So, but this is actually what a talking point is. So I've gone and done some research and just in terms of, okay, well, like, okay, well, how do you actually set up a talking point? What does what it actually use for? A talking point are like a cheat sheet for anyone in the communications field on behalf of a business, an organization, a politician, or even themselves. They provide a quick and easy way of staying on track, not wandering off topic and making sure communications are consistent across the group being represented. They are often used as seed materials for letters, press releases, speeches, debates, and more. Talking points are internal communications and not shared with an intended audience. When writing your talking points, it's important to keep in mind a few key details that will help you do the best job possible for, pre for preparing yourself to communicate your message. Did you say this was not supposed to be most of the talking point? It's, it's an inside thing that should not be shared? Is that how I should looked at it or view it or understand it? You have to think of it almost like a cheat sheet. So these talking points are basically um, notes for people who are trying to give, trying to, to speak about a particular topic in order to make sure they actually have a reference to go back and support the points that they have. So it's not the fact that actually the talking points themselves aren't going to be shared because they are, it's basically a visual reminder for them to actually do it and to make sure it stays in order. Interesting. Right. So there's really five key things you have to do when you make a talking point. First of all, you have to prioritize. So you want to make sure your audience takes away the message that you intend to. So you have to prioritize what you're talking about. And then you also have to make sure that you address it very clearly. So even if you don't get to anything else, they'll understand at least that one thing that you're talking about. Second of all, you have to be prepared. Talking points are meant to serve as a reminder and to highlight some of the specific details that need to be recited. So you shouldn't actually have to rely on the talking points in order to kind of go on the, the, the depth or the breadth of the discussion. It's really meant to serve as that reminder. Um, also, you have to talk about preemption. So especially in interviews or debates, when those who are doing the talking will be questioned about their message, it's important to anticipate what those questions will be and then prepare a defense for what you believe those questions will be. Um, fifth is focus on the facts. So make sure you know what the facts are as you get in there. Um, so you can share them with your audience and they be prepared to explain to your audience how those facts impact them. And then finally to be direct. Even when your message is a negative one, get straight to the point and own what you're saying. It's bad news. If you're sharing your talking point should also include reminders about how you're responding to the negative situation and working to make it better. Mm -hmm. So these are all basically just high level like prioritizations in terms of what you should do uh, and key details in, in order to clue what a talking point really should be. Mm -hmm. So now we know what talking points are. Wow. <clears throat> it's a, it's one of those terms that's, uh, I don't know about you guys and everyone listening, but for me, when I hear it, I have simultaneously uh, positive and negative connotations. And right. I think it's because of maybe how it's used. Um, because on the one hand, as Charles was just saying, part of it is just simply you know, what is it that you want to communicate and to distill those into those key ideas so that you can effectively convey those ideas. And that's not in and of itself a bad thing. But then there's also this uh, sort of a sense of it being used almost as a criticism of of what other people are saying. So I wanted to dive into that uh, history of the term and kind of how we feel about it and what does it mean. And actually, there's a, a brilliant article from the New York Times uh, published in 2005 
by William Sapphire, who who actually had a column about the way we live uh, on language, uh, specifically about talking points. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read a few uh, excerpts from that because I think it's actually super interesting and, and really important. Um, so he writes, L.A. Weekly denounced Bush's talking points war, quote unquote, early last year. A highlight of Bill O'Reilly's Fox News conservative commentary is his, quote-unquote, talking points memo. While Joshua Micah Marshall publishes his own, quote-unquote, talking points memo, memo, a popular liberal web blog. The New York Times advertises an online service of expanded analysis, available for a a fee to non-subscribers, with a new feature under that red-hot title, Read Talking Points and Everything Clicks. Small wonder that Tom Oliphant, the Boston Globe columnist with whom I have cheerfully jousted on television, made a point to Don Imus on MSNBC that I ought to get cracking on a language column about talking points. <laughs> the question is this, how can a phrase be so embraced by so many on both sides of the political divide while being an object of scorn by so many others equally politically opposed? Rightists and leftists hoot at the very idea of talking points as both conservative and liberal media biggies use the phrase to attract readers and viewers. The phenomenon has resulted in what may be the first quadripartisan semantic split. That's a, that's a great, that's a great term. Etymology may help. We think the same. I heard a phrase. Uh, I first heard the phrase as a White House speechwriter ducking dreary assignments for the Rose Garden rubbish, quote unquote. President Nixon would often say to his writers, never mind preparing formal remarks for this bunch, just give me a page of talking points. He would refer to other brief lines, amusing or poignant, with a musical term, quote-unquote, grace notes, which were a cut above the list of factual talking points. Subsequent research, driven by Oliphant's demand, reveals earlier usage not in political speech, but in financial jargon. In Sinclair Lewis's classic 1922 novel, Babbitt, the author described a broker who understood talking points, strategic values, key situations, under appraisals. To underscore his satire, the novelist capitalized the pretentious words used to bedazzle investors. From this phrase history, dating to the Civil War, we can deduce that a talking point started out as a commercial claim. In time, the item in a sales pitch was derided perhaps by competitors or disappointed customers, as a mere boast by a fast talker. The pejorative connotation persisted into our time. Now, the pendulum appears to be swinging back again, as can be seen by the delighted seizure of the phrase by media personalities and institutions. They are using the technique and its label in covering or criticizing the technique. Talking points are a core set of messages an executive or politician uses in communicating with stakeholders, says Richard Edelman, a public relations executive. It's a term of art for having an outline of your remarks. George Lakoff, professor of cognitive science and linguistics at UC Berkeley, goes further. The talking points frame assumes that there are many spokespeople, that there will be a message discipline, and that they will remain on message, that is, sticking to the talking points. If you listen carefully as you watch the political talk shows, you will hear the same language and arguments over and over, and you can probably learn to reconstruct the talking points from them. It's a fun game to play. Try it. <clears throat> that is the, 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 the problem for me. This is why I wanted to get to this, because listening to this author and hearing everything that he says, what talking point is and how it's been used... Well, I kind of, I understand. I, I could see why 
this is something that can be important in terms of, because especially when you're getting so much information, so much is happening where you, it, it is, it, it is, you have to discipline yourself on what exactly you want to say. I even hear we have to be disciplined on what we want to talk about and how we should talk about it. So we're not like going into tantrum and sort of start speaking God knows what. But the problem is, or maybe it's not, my question is, is it fair to say the problem with talking point, the people who use it find a way when you hear it, when you hear that talking point, when you hear them keep repeating the same thing, it's usually something negative. Like there's something negative. Like what stands out to me, it's not like, okay, I'm being disciplined. I'm not going to say too much. You know, it just kind of like feels very negative. It feels like there is something that is doesn't feel right. Yes, you hear it the first time, you hear it the second time. After the third time, you pretty much get what they try to achieve, what they try to do. Is it fair for me to look at that? You know what? It's been used for propaganda. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. But I think it's also like the what, what you're remarking on. Part of that is uh, a function of lots of news media generally skewing towards more negative topics because they simply sell better. Uh, and so that's kind of a result of it seeming like it's necessarily inherently negative when, when talking points as a thing may not be. Um, but it also goes back to what, uh, Diane Hawkins had, had written in, in her comment that we just read is that the, the fact is when you have the same thing being said over and over and over again, in maybe slightly different ways from different groups of people, if you're not actively involved in that topic, to know better, then you will just believe it. You're just going to hear it. And if you hear it enough and you hear it loud enough, then it just becomes accepted as truth. And so it's like, that is the most effective propaganda for people who are not uh, able to ha be deeply involved in a, in a given subject. And so for, I think for you, you've, you've remarked, well, you, you say the third time you hear it, you start to realize what they're trying to do. Well, that's because you have an awareness of kind of what, how that works, you know, and you're paying attention and it's a subject that you're, that you already have, uh, knowledge of, uh, but for people who aren't in that position or don't have the the uh, the kind of the understanding of the way uh, the, the that ecosystem works, or haven't spent as much time thinking about it, that's it's it's that exact risk of effective propaganda. People just hearing the same talking point over and over again, and that just becoming the de facto truth for that person. That's quite interesting, and I think. When you think about talking points, especially with the tabloid media, who seems to be in line with what they, their agenda. And their agenda, it's about Harry and Meghan to destroy those two people, in my opinion. And so they add them all the time, every day. It doesn't matter which one of any of the channels that you turn into, you might as well just only watch one channel because it's pretty much the same thing. But what happened when 
that talking point fell. What happened? I just feel like when the talking point fell, then you got what happened this week, which I find so truthful for the first time from the media of what they are doing and what they've been doing and the people that has been impacted by what they do. And it in what I find incredible is that something like that happened that should bring a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, sort of, I cannot believe I just hear that. You guys just confess to that. This is why Harry is in court right now. This is the chaos that's been creating. And we're going to just pass it as if like it was just another flash news. Because when you think of Janie, who appear on talk TV, let's hear exactly what she had to say about the media she's a part of. Let's hear that together. Let's talk to Jenny Bond, royal commentator, of course, um, royal um, biographer, royal uh, correspondent for many, many, many years, decades. I don't wish to be unkind, Jenny, but, I mean, you are a bit of a veteran here, so thank you very much for joining us, and I appreciate your time. Um, it's been a bit of an odd week, hasn't it? Prince Harry appearing in court, has been in for two days. He's now no longer on the stand giving evidence. Um, but it's in a bit. it seems like it's all been a bit harrowing for him. Oh, I think it has. I think it's been very difficult. I think I've never been in a witness box, but I think to be under intense scrutiny um, of every aspect of his life, really, for a day and a half has been tough. And many of the articles that were being scrutinised, you know, go back a very long time. Mm. Some he actually admitted he hadn't read at the time. Yeah. Uh, he said in court that he found the whole thing very distressing. And uh, the last words of his, his own barrister to him was, how are you feeling after all of this? And he apparently almost was on the verge of tears. Right. His voice cracked and said, it's a lot. So it's been tough for him. Yes, I think so. And, I mean, those who uh, don't have much sympathy for him say, well, you know, he put himself in there. He was the one that brought the case. He was the one that wanted to do it. Um, but I wonder whether he wasn't quite prepared for what that was going to end up actually being like. No, I think the forensic detail that he was subjected to was really hard. But also, you know, I think it's quite courageous. I, I, I think it's brave of him to stand up for what he believes in, the injustices he feels have plagued him uh, all his life by the vile media following him. Um, and many, many people, 90% of people settle out of court. His own brother has apparently settled out of court. They don't put themselves through this but he was prepared to do so and i think we have to say the man is courageous for that yes or, or foolhardy one of the two um one of the things that is said uh, in the papers this morning in the times is that he said he went to court for megan because one of the reasons he went was to try and stop all the hate that he feels is directed both at he and her um and has been over the course of time but of course again it depends on which side of the fence you look at and where you come from. Because when Meghan first came into the royal family and first became his girlfriend and then his wife, there was a great deal of sort of affection and love for the two of them. But it kind of changed a little bit. Um, 
as, as their relationship changed with the royal family, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he said, yes, he wanted to stop the hate and intrusion into Meghan's life. Uh, and we know how strongly he feels about that. Um, I mean, an awful lot of personal details came up, not only, um, well, not really about Meghan, but about his relationship with Chelsea Davy, with whom he, he was boyfriend-girlfriend for many, many years, a fiery relationship. But, I mean, he says that he, they found a device under Chelsea's car. Um, and I have no doubt they did. The issue throughout all of this was, yes, your life has been made hell, quite frankly, by my profession and your profession. We can't get away from it. Sometimes I think maybe we should feel ashamed of ourselves. We do put celebrities and royals through hell sometimes. Yes, that's always true. But what you've got to prove here in court is that it was, in this case, the mirror journalists who intruded and acted illicitly. So, what are you guys thought about what she had to say? The confession, in my opinion, the truth. The truth. No, I agree with what... No, first of all, I agree with what she says. And I agree with your sentiment and the fact that it's surprising that she said the way what she said. Um, you know, most often, and even the co-host in that particular segment, um, you know, was sticking to the talking points, to your to what you were saying, is that he had a very it looked like he had a very clear agenda and was always trying to direct the conversation back to more of a negative tone to and towards Harry and Megan. But she, I felt actually, you know, stood her ground and said that, okay, well, look, it's actually like, yeah, there's a problem. Like, like we treat people horribly. We do horrible things to these people. Um, and that he, she, he, she even called him courageous so, um, yeah, I was, I was quite surprised at, um, at how well she was trying to actually defend what he was doing. Well, is that the reason why my question then, is that the reason why the talking print it's necessary or is it just, she is tired or she could see what's coming up and she's tried to exit from that mass, which is cause her to actually go against the talking point. It's an interesting question. I it, it's I don't know if it's one that we could necessarily give an answer to, but I can say from watching it, it didn't seem like she was uh, just like tired or making a mistake or going off script accidentally. It seemed like she was very deliberate in what she was saying. And so maybe it's more of what you're saying is to her seeing the writing on the wall and wanting to... Uh, protect her own her own self and and credibility in in that regard it's it's an it's also just interesting to think about just going back to even how we got here with this word and and what it means is if you think about it it really is two different things that have the same term for them and they get conflated and and combined because on the one hand talking points is a messaging framework it's a it's a communications framework what should be said in what way uh, and how do you make sure that everyone that's saying that message is consistent and cohesive and so that that way it is more effective it is more persuasive it is it is a is a it is a manner of trying to uh, win win an argument effectively to convince others of your uh, your position 
which is very different than, uh, and that in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, that's, everyone can have their own communication strategies and they want to achieve some goal as it relates to what they want to convey. That's fine. Good or bad. That's what it is. But the, the negative side of things is sort of, um, talking points as it is almost in, in juxtaposed to substantive, uh, rational arguments, fact-based arguments. Um, sort of, oh, you just have just the, uh, a high level re, uh, sort of summary of what you want to convey, but not actually any of the evidence or substance behind it. Um, and I think that is worth making that distinction because it, it seems a lot like when there is what we've seen with, uh, that's going against Harry and Meghan, it's more, it certainly is, has the, the sort of the coordinated strategy of a communications framework to make sure they're all staying co- cohesive and consistent. But it's also n- the other side of it, which is this sort of, it's not really based on truth. It's more of a, this is just what we want to want to convey. But when does that type of talking point, when it's not working, what? Is it because they have nothing else? So they must, because in my opinion, as hard have they been tried, and God knows they will not be accused for not trying really hard to go after two people that have been incredible, amazing for their country, this island that they all in, who have done incredible work, and they decided that to to pretty much see them out of the country. And for me personally, that talking point that they had, it has been a felt, like literally, they are feeling really, really, really bad at it. It's, 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 I think you're right, but I don't think it's, it's failing in and of itself. I think it is failing because of work by, People like those in the Sussex squad who have done the work to call it out and actually say, you need to, here's the actual facts of the matter and the substance to underlie that. Because without that, it, it, it and, it, and, and it's not to say that it hasn't actually been effective in some. I mean, in, in Travel Chamo's, uh, comment, he wrote about how he was surprised at how much his parents had, uh, bought into the narrative that had been reiterated, those talking points that had been reiterated by, uh, the tabloid media and the same, I mean, we've, we've met people that we know that are the same exact way. So it's not that that isn't effective or can be, can not be effective, but it has been combated effectively by those who are actually saying, you know, here's the truth. Here are the facts and, and calling it out. Absolutely. I mean, of course, you know, I think it's, it's us, the Sussex squad. It's a force to work in it, right? Because really, we push so hard and continue push. We, we literally on the front line and we say no and we stand strong. But, and I think because of that, when I say the talking point is failing and it has failed, it's very obvious when you have a proper supposedly station call Great Britain 
it's very easy when you when 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 you listen to Good Morning Britain that you're quickly thinking about Good Morning America, such a prestigious, you know, sort of television in in that's that's here to inform you and and discuss, you know, issues incredible and you think this is this this is who they are. And yet you have them invite Paul McMillan to allow him to actually say these disgusting, vile things. The reason why Harry, it's in court and not having much of pushback at all, or even just make sure the cops was outside waiting for this man in a handcuff. Let's hear this. Well, we're joined now by Paul McMullen, the former deputy features editor at the now defunct News of the World. He gave evidence at the Leveson inquiry into press ethics back in 2011, claiming former editors knew hacking was taking place at that paper. We can also speak to the broadcaster and former editor of the Sunday Times, Andrew Neal. Very good morning to both of you. Um, Paul, you are very open about the fact that you worked on stories uh, on the royals and particularly on Prince Harry, yeah. uh, which were obtained through hacking. As you listen to him in court, explaining the effect that he says that this uh, disputed practice had on him, you know, let's, let's just... Put the, those legal technicalities to one side. He believes that illegal methods were used to gather information <coughs> on him. Well, they, and, he well, says, so. and he says they left him paranoid, uh, phobic, depressed. They ruined his relationships. As somebody who was involved by your own admission, yeah. does that leave you with a, a sense of guilt or shame? Well, not really, because we did much worse to his dad. And uh, his dad was <coughs> just dismissed it. Oh, those annoying newspaper people and you know, got over it. So, I mean, Prince Harry's big problem, he's got Prince in his name, so he's offered a castle when he was a teenager, turned it down, and was born in an incredibly privileged position. Uh, there's a small possibility that he might have risen to be head of state of, you know, Canada, Australia, 14 countries. So I think, and we were paying for it, public paid for him, so I think we had every right to... I don't know about listening to his phone calls, but... That was um, illegal. It was, but, you know, you could say taking drugs is illegal, so catch, you know, it takes a... Two wrongs to don't make a right, of course. Yes, but you need someone who's kind of been there to be able to catch people doing that, and that's the balance, isn't it? You've got someone's mental health at stake, mm -hmm. possibly, as his mother indeed suffered. I mean, I chased his mother a lot, but, I mean, I think... Chased as in... Well, I chased around the world for about five years. It was... I, I mean, mean we, because that's quite, that's quite a phrase to use, considering that one of Prince Harry's problems is that she was... His mother was literally chased by yes. paparazzi on bikes and he blames them yeah, for yeah. killing her. No, I've been in car chases in Paris with French paparazzi and it's terrifying and exhilarating. But... And it clearly it ended tragically. And, I mean, it, <clears throat> it started off as so much fun... And Diana was actually our friend. Why is, Paul, why is I mean, chasing would, someone, hunting someone fun? Um, well, she did play with us a bit. I mean, when 
I was down in Saint-Tropez, I wrote the last story before she died in the News of the World. And uh, she'd rung up one of the paparazzi and said, well, the boat's just coming round the, the bend between Italy and France. <clears throat> I'll stand on the deck with Dodie and I'll give you a nice package. And that pap made a million pounds out of those pictures. And it was a gift, you know. If I think I remember those pictures. Diana, but, you... but, Paul, I just wonder whether... Because you say, well, his father brushed it off. We actually don't know internally, mentally, what that did to the king. And we, but we do... We can presume yeah, we know what, what, was... what it did to Camilla. <clears throat> we, we can imagine that even though Princess Diana was but what's... hunted, chased, well, she suffered with... because of what's it. What's wrong with knowing the truth about the people who rule over us? I mean, he is still the because head of state. Because some of it's private. Some of it isn't No, but it's brilliant. The public's totally with us. So we used to sit outside Highgrove. I say we, not to say me exactly, because mm. I don't want to go to jail. And we used to use those aircraft scanners to listen to pilots that kind of nerds do. And you could get the police and their security guards talking to each other. And you could also occasionally get a royal. You, you couldn't do it in London because too much mobile traffic. It's stalking, isn't it? Totally. Stalking and harassment. That was my main uh, uh, MO. I mean, we're talking about Harry. It's, it's, it's in the court talking about the loss of his mother, how horrible that was for him, how traumatic that was for him and many admire and love of this woman. And this man talking about chasing Princess Diana and talk about that she liked it or that... Am I quoting right? She that he said that she was uh, playing with them. She's playing with them. It just almost that was a creepy, like a sick feeling. That same sick feeling that I heard Baron mention that he had, because he didn't really quite understand the last word that he says when he, you know, sort of you know, one of the listeners had to tell them what he said. When this man actually. Saying that, you know what, hey, you know, I've done worse to his father or that, you know, I've done bad things to his mother as though that, you know what, that justify what he did and say that Princess Diana liked it or something like that or play with them. Remind me of those creepy guys that, you know, who see you and tell you, hey, I'm hurting you. I'm doing this to you because of what you're wearing. And you guys all know what I'm talking about. Obviously, I don't want to go specifically saying this thing in church here in presence of God. But all of you knows those crap that make you feel like somehow or the abusers that tell you that, you know, it's because of, it's your fault or they abuse you or something like that. This is the feeling that I got when I hear this man speak and sitting down and talking about how, you know, sort of. He thinks it was fun, like as if like it was a joke. Chasing after people, that it's fun. Are you, this is people's life. We lost people because of you guys. The trauma, the paranoia, the anxiety. And honestly, 
honestly, thinking like he, to what you said about how he should have been walking out of there in handcuffs, his whole argument when he was called out for doing illegal things was, oh, well, this other person also did illegal things. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, it's like taking drugs in whatever the case is. Are, are you, how are you going to compare? You decided that you're going to make someone's life miserable just because they are famous or just because that, you know, they choose a profession that put them in the public and that give you the right somehow to treat that person unhuman. So as though that, you know what, if you choose this profession and somehow that, you know what, it is okay. Oh, and and in Harry's case, it's not even something he chose. It's something he was born into. Absolutely. But it's also, I mean, there's a, there's a, not maybe a, not a little bit of what could fairly be described as white privilege in terms of him being, having no problem admitting to doing illegal things on national television. Um, which is, it honestly is just crazy that the other, the hosts took it and, and as cavalierly as they did, but to, to tie it back to also the, the, the term that we're focusing on, it's, it's almost a, an, a, a different form of failing to follow the, talking points than the first example we looked at because in the first example she uh, jenny contradicted them she said no this is actually i'm gonna tell you the truth as it is which is actually harry's courageous and, and i believe in what he's doing and etc 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 this guy he he doesn't stick to the talking points but it's not because he's contradicting them he's just admitting almost admitting the the sort of ugly truth of what they're doing as opposed to the the polished veneer that they put forward that they like to put forward as to to, to defend their actions. He's, he just put it as bluntly, as blatantly and, and as uh, callously as it is, as, as evil as it is. And he presented it just the way it, the reality is of what they're doing, which is in, in both cases that failing to stick to the to talking points that they all had been trying to stay uh, centered around and cohesive around in both cases, it, it damages the narrative that they're trying to create. But I mean, if this is where we are, what is it that, you know, the media themselves, those media organization, it's not getting. The fact is, is that, you know what, people are now not just sick and tired of it and, and, and up onto that game, but really pretty much disgusted. Disgusted. Yeah, I, honestly, it, the the fact that that woman, who is normally very much a part of the the uh, the standard parade, went and said the truth and described Harry as being courageous in that context in that on that show, and broke with the talking points that dramatically, that is it. Even though the the other host uh, tried to just steer it back to the where he wanted it to be. The fact is that she did that, that is really significant. Absolutely. It is really significant in what Absolutely. that shows about how things are actually starting to shift. Wow. I mean, let's move on to victory. How should we look at victory, Charles? Sure. So victory was first used in the 14th century. 
Uh, it actually is derived and comes from Latin, uh, the word from victor, actually. Uh, and it has two quite straightforward definitions. The first, the overcoming of an enemy or antagonist. And the second, an achievement of mastery or success in a struggle or endeavor against odds or difficulty. Hmm. Which I kind of like the second one. It just has a nice sound. So in terms of just context, um, I was looking around and I thought this, this one just kind of tickled my fancy just in terms of just a, a great way to, in order to kind of um, showcase a victory. It's actually the, the Battle of Trafalgar, which I just thought was interesting. And the Battle of Trafalgar uh, was actually in uh, October twenty-second, uh, oh, no, October twenty-first, excuse me, eighteen o five, and it was at a pivotal moment uh, when Napoleon was trying to invade Britain, right. and there was a French-Spanish armada heading towards uh, the UK, and uh, they were actually the British were outnumbered; they had twenty-seven ships to the French Spanish fleet of 33 ships and they were beaten and the Spanish Armada Napoleon was beaten so badly that they were basically completely knocked out of the conflict and basically assured British naval supremacy. Yeah. So it's uh, a great bottle. It was pretty crazy. And actually, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, uh, Napoleon, who's just known to be a strategic genius, we all know how close the uh, English Channel is. And so in his mind, because of his superior strategy and tactics, being able to deploy them on, on, on land and with his army, he felt that all he had to do was to reach British right. shores. Right. If he was able to land his troops in Britain, they would be able to win the war, hands down. That was his, that was his plan. So the fact actually that it was so important, the fact that he lost is probably one of the principal reasons why we're not all speaking French today. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. (laughs) Josh. Got a bunch. This is one of those words that you feel like you uh, know. As you mentioned, it's a word we're familiar with. But when you kind of dive into it, you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot more to that. Um, so I'm going to start with your favorite author. Mm. You know which one? I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fairly described as an author, I suppose. Uh, Sun Tzu. Mm, yeah. So a few a few quotes that I think are uh, helpful in understanding victory generally, but also in terms of thinking about the the current uh, time in which we find ourselves in this court case. <clears throat> so the first quote is. Uh, Making no mistakes is what establishes the certainty of victory, for it means conquering an enemy that is already defeated. That's right. The second is, in conflict, straightforward actions generally lead to engagement. Surprising actions generally lead to victory. Uh, And this one, which I think, this next one I think is apt for how we've been thinking about uh, the press media, the tabloid media, and how they are not quite sure necessarily what to do right now. Uh, The next quote is, uh, Thus it is in war. The victorious strategist only seeks battle after the victory has been won, whereas he who is destined to defeat first fights and afterwards looks for victory. Incredible. 
And then he goes on, He and this I think is another interesting one. He says, thus we may know there are five essentials for victory. He will win who knows when to fight and when not to fight. He will win who knows how to handle both superior and inferior forces. He will win whose army is animated by the same spirit throughout all its ranks, i.e. the Sussex Squad. He will win who, prepared himself, waits to take the enemy unprepared. He will win who has military capacity and is not interfered with by the sovereign. That's right. And another uh, quote from actually, uh, who some consider to be the father of Roman poetry, who I was not familiar with, uh, Quintus Ennius, who wrote that the victor is not victorious if the vanquished does not consider himself so. That's right. Which I think is very important. Think about what does it actually mean to... What is this court case? What is the the end result of this court case? What is what does a win look like? What is victory? Even how uh, Charles put it in the beginning with the the fairly good summation by CNN in terms of what the net result of the the legal result of the court case be what it may, uh, the broader societal effects uh, may already be assured in some ways. I think before we can get into a place to understand or even to entertain what is victory and the strategy, the brilliant strategy that the Sussexes, including the Sussex squad, deployed. I mean, you would think that, you know, we're all working together, but somehow we understand the cause. We understand the mission. And so we were able to almost giving coverage and allow the Sussexes to have time to plan and do what they need to do to attack. And, 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 and in another to truly really understanding what the fight is about. We must understand who we fighting and who who's the big force is. And I think it, it's fair now to really, I, it wasn't planned. I'm so sorry, you guys. It was not planned. But we need to revisit Harry's last speech I believe it was at Center Valley. Let's listen to what he said. Good evening, everyone. Um, and thank you very much for being here for Center Valley, a charity that myself and Prince Aso created all the way back in 2006 to honor our mother's legacy in supporting those affected by HIV and AIDS. Before I begin, I must say that I can only imagine what you may have heard or perhaps read over the past few weeks. So, I want you to hear the truth from me, as much as I can share, not as a prince or a duke, but as Harry, the same person that many of you have watched grow up over the last 35 years, but now with a clearer perspective. The UK is my home and a place that I love. That will never change. I've grown up feeling supported from so many of you and I watched as you welcomed Megan with open arms as you, as you saw me find the love and happiness that I'd hoped for 
all my life. Finally, the second son of Diana got hitched. Hooray. <laughs> I also know that you've come to know me well enough over all these years to trust that the woman I chose as my wife upholds the same values as I do. And she does. And she's the same woman I fell in love with. We both do everything we can to fly the flag and carry out our roles for this country with pride. Once Megan and I were married, we were excited, we were hopeful, and we were here to serve. For those reasons, it brings me great sadness that it has come to this. The decision that I have made for my wife and I to step back is not one I made lightly. It was so many months of talks after so many years of challenges. And I know I haven't always gotten it right, but as far as this goes, there really was no other option. What I want to make clear is, we're not walking away. And we certainly aren't walking away from you. Our hope was to continue serving the Queen, the Commonwealth and my military associations, but without public funding. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible. I've accepted this, knowing that it doesn't change who I am or how committed I am. But I hope that helps you understand what it had come to, that I would step my family back from all I have ever known, to take, a, to take a step forward into what I hope can be a more peaceful life. I was born into this life, and it is a great honor to serve my country and the Queen. When I lost my mum 23 years ago, you took me under your wing. You looked out for me for so long, but the media is a powerful force. And my hope is one day our collective support for each other can be more powerful, because this is so much bigger than just us. It has been our privilege to serve you, and we will continue to lead a life of service. So in that respect, nothing changes. It has also been a privilege to meet so many of you and to feel your excitement for our son, Archie, who saw snow for the first time the other day and thought it was bloody brilliant. <laughs> I will always have the utmost respect for my grandmother, my commander-in-chief, and I am incredibly grateful to her and the rest of my family for the support they have shown Megan and I over the last few months. I will continue to be the same man who holds his country dear and dedicates his life to supporting the causes, charities and military communities that are so important to me. Together, you have given me an education about living. And this role has taught me more about what is right and just than I could ever have imagined. We are taking a leap of faith, so thank you for giving me the courage to take this next step. The media is a powerful force. And one day he hoped collectively that would not be the case. He's taking a giant the Sussex Squad being a part of it's very difficult for me to really I mean I have a long pause because I'm trying to find the right word to actually really describe how we should look at victory, how should we look at a win, 
because I don't think as they themselves, the media is been talking about that, you know, in other words, why doesn't he take the money and run? You know, it, as though this is what he's in it for. Like his brother who took a million dollars, allegedly. Somehow, this is what this is have absolutely nothing to do with money. So, no, it's not about whether or not Harry wins some kind of large whatever or the people. It, it, it's, it's much more. So, it will be interesting to see how you guys feel about it. What, what, what is, what else? How should we really look at? victory i think yeah i think the what you just said is really important and um the fact is and there's actually a really interesting article i'll get into in just a second that i think helps understand that better but to what you're saying about it not being about money clearly it's it's not and the thing is even even what may be perceived to be a defeat or a loss in some ways in, in smaller tactical ways can still be a part of the broader strategic victory in terms of what he's actually trying to achieve, what he actually cares about, why he's doing it in the first place. Um, but to just take a step back, I think this is where this article is one that I was like, wow, there's a lot more to this than I had, um, had initially thought it's, it's titled the theory of victory. It's by Jay Boone, uh, Bartholomew's, um, from actually volume one theory of war and strategy. And so there's a lot, a lot to this. I'll try to break it up into chunks. Um, but the first thing is he writes, in fact, the concept of victory is the biggest theoretical challenge facing security professionals today. We simply do not understand what victory is and how it happens. Worse, we do not have the necessary intellectual framework to think about the problem. And so he's writing from a context of sort of international relations and international politics and gives the example also of, you know, you you may win a war, you may win a battle, but you may lose the peace. And so what is, what is actually victory and how do you think about it? And he goes on, he says, victory in, in war or in conflict is at the most basic level an assessment. It's not a fact or a condition. It is someone's opinion or an, amalgama- an amalgamation of opinions. In sports terms, I know you brought up the, the sports at the beginning, Lady Sussex. It's actually very easy to say who wins and who loses in sports because there's clear rules. There's how do you decide who, who the victor is. But outside of sports where there's not those clear rules, it doesn't really work like that. It is instead, if you were to, if you were to take that analogy, uh, <clears throat> it's taking the score at the end of the game, but it's done by a combination of the fans, the sports writers, the players, the coaches, the league officials, each of them voting with an indeterminate degree of impact on the final result and each able to review and alter his vote at any time. Victory in in conflict may or may not have anything to do with the objective criteria, like respective losses, how much you won, uh, how much territory you won, or how much um, your resources you used, uh, how much you destroyed of the other person's resources. Uh, None of those things are really what it's about. He says, in winning a war or in winning a conflict, those things matter, at least at some level, and always in terms of their effect on perception. But what matters most is the ultimate perception of the situation, not the facts. And the perception of the effects, not the effort. 
there's no credit for trying hard. Different people, depending on their perspective, can legitimately differ in their assessment. Initial assessments of victory are often merely gut feelings, much like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography as something that depends on community values and you know it when you see it. The assessment aspect complicates the issue of winning exponentially since it introduces uncontrolled variables of whose assessment counts, for how much, and based on what criteria. And so he goes on, he says, Next, <clears throat> at an aspect hinted at above, because it is a perception or assessment, victory, or winning, is heavily dependent on perspective. In a military sense, this translates into being sensitive to the level of war. It is possible to have a smashing tactical military victory that does not produce either operational or strategic results. He goes on to, and I'm just skipping ahead to some of the to some of the parts of this. He says he quotes Clausewitz, who said that victory is tripartite. Getting into an explanation of what is it really? So the, Clausewitz's explanation is that a total concept of victory consists of three things: the enemy's greater loss of material strength, the enemy's loss of morale and the enemy's open admission of the above by giving up his intentions. So I'm getting to the end, I promise. <laughs> the end, he, he goes, Thus, this, is, this, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. It's just two, two more parts or yeah, almost two more parts of this. So he says, thus, and this is the, this is probably the most important part. He says, thus strategic victory in war is a positive assessment of the post-war political situation in terms of the achievement and decisiveness that is acknowledged, sustainable, and resolves underlying political issues. Mm. So it is, victory is not this, and, and, and again, applying it back to what's going on with the court case right now, it is not about, it's not even really at all about the net result of the court case in and of itself. It is about what is the shared understanding, an assessment made by a whole group of people who all have different perspectives as to what is the new post court case in this case situation and what is the decisiveness what is the achievement and what is what is actually sustainable in and of that what is what does it resolve so th that is that is the 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 victory in 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 a more maybe a complete sense of I'm trying to understand what is the difference between a win of a court case and a victory of what the it, mission is. I think, I think, a, I, sorry about that. I think a lot of it, people feel very conflicted when it comes to things, specifically because we're talking about the media. Because it's much easier as many people that come before Harry to sort of like, you know, whether, although they are, they know they are in the right, their rights have been validated. They have a case. And so it's much easier to just take the money. Take the money because you're going to waste your time to fight these people, these giant, and they know that. Whether it's because they don't have to worry about the cash, maybe it's insurance, I don't know. I have no way to know where the money come from for all these lawsuits that they settle out, included Harry's brother allegedly got a million dollars. So it's as though that, you know what, this powerful force that Harry talk about, people are very conflicted, which why you see when Harry make that decision, it looks as though that he's crazy, that, you know, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. And, and there's all, even the people that who support him, 
fear and scared. So it's like when you think about what it is for him and what he's tried to do, what a win will be for him, whatever that win is, even if it's just the idea that, you know, for the first time that I can remember being alive since I'm sort of, you know, try to figure out what the whole media thing is about, someone finally stood up. It's it's so it's amazing because where my head has been for the last 20 seconds from what you had been saying is where you just landed uh, and tying what we did uh, a week and two weeks ago of a, of a movie example that, that illustrates it is the idea about how, how much of a victory is about the effect of everyone else's perception, not even the net result of that tactical engagement. And the movie that comes to mind is probably one that most of our, well, I mean, I'm not going to judge one way or the other, but perhaps not everyone has seen, but it's 300. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the movie that is depicting, it's a fictionalized representation of what happened with uh, the Persian army coming into Greece and, and this 300 Spartans going and mm-hmm. trying to hold a pass mm-hmm. to prevent their advance. And at the end, uh, spoiler alert, I suppose. <laughs> At the end, the, um, uh, Leonidas throws his, his spear and he could have killed the Persian emperor, Xerxes, um, but ultimately all he does is he cuts his face. And so he's, and he, and as a result, Xerxes is bleeding. And Xerxes makes a comment about how you missed or some, something along those lines. And he says, well, actually, no, that's not the point. The point is that, I've actually stood up to you and I have shown everyone around the world that thought you were a God, that you actually bleed and that you're not a God. And so it, it broke this sort of, That's right. this image that he had had, That's that he was right. invincible. Right. And so as a result, the idea is that everyone else was able to rally together to go and fight that force because they saw that he was actually not a God and he was not invincible and that he could be defeated because Leonidas had proved that he could, um, he could be cut. Uh, this, so it's this, like the the example that of what you're talking this about. This is incredible that you will choose that because for me at the moment, I feel like this is exactly what Harry has done. So Charles, what do you have to say? It's interesting because during this conversation, there was something that's been kind of ringing in my ears. And that has been that, um, and it supports basically the author's point, is that History is written by the victors, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of the, the old axiom. And it kind of makes sense because it just goes back to support what they were saying is the fact that, you know, it's the retelling of stories. And it's basically history is a collection of those talking points just to get back to what we were talking about before. It's, it's, a, it's a summarization of, of things that has happened in order to shape historical events Right. That's basically kind of what these things are, how they kind of interwoven link and who gets to say what history is, who gets to actually share the perspective are the victors. Right. That's basically what that is. So it's just really interesting about how all that kind of ties together and who actually has the last say in that narrative. So it's super important that all of us do what we can in order to ensure that our voices are heard because what is left if we don't is only the voices of these talking heads and 
the talking points that they say um, that are basically there to misconstrue or or direct society in terms of what they believe to be true or what they want to be true. And I think this is so brilliant because it led me to this piece of um, information video that as we were doing, I was doing research for the show. And it's almost like I kind of like save it, but didn't really know what was in there until I'm looking at, because I'm looking at everything. I'm looked at what everybody's talking about. I'm checking in and I come, I don't know by grace of God, sort of like, you know what? And to hear, this is where the Sussex squads are now. The difference that we are making in the acknowledgement that we are getting. And I think it's, 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 let's listen to it. Or it was a cult story, which were, you know, only, only played out to a, a small audience of people involved in press reform. And that's not the case. It has massive appeal, even in America, even in the States. There's, there's lots of people following this, this, this case. Uh, lots of people who support Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. I think they're called the Sussex Squad. Their, their fan base. You know, a lot of them are there based in the States, and they're based in all over the world. Really, you know, it's really interesting. These people who, 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 who mightn't, mightn't really understand the British justice system. They mightn't really understand how the British papers work, but they know something is wrong. You know, instinctively they know something is wrong, so they want to, uh, they want to find out about it. When I was filing this copy on Byline Investigates, what what increased the readership was these people from America, the Sussex Squad in America, becoming interested in this, you know, which was amazing, really. So when you hear this man, who pretty much a lot of his um, conversation was supposed to be insert this woman about what was going on in the court. And somehow, I don't know how he got in into the conversation about the Sussex Squad. The impactful, the fact that we are watching, the fact that we are pleasing, the fact that, you know, we are interested. But he even went further to even saying one of the reasons why Byline, it's where they are, is because of the interest of the fact that the Sussex squad show that much interest. This is the kind of things that we are doing. When you think about the charity work that we have done. When you see how we've been able to organize ourselves for a group that who doesn't particularly have no leader, everybody is their own leader, but we all have a common cause, a common belief that something wrong happened. And we are tired of seeing good people, decent people, and just you know, torn overboard for the amusement of others just because they can. And they have no idea or have not realized who are these people. And I can believe they still can fathom that, you know what, the quality of the Sussex Squad. It's another force 
they were just not prepared for. They didn't understand. They didn't get. And they still don't get it. So, I think you're. I think you're. Honestly, I think you're exactly right, and and I think that's also. It speaks volumes to what the Sussex Squad has has done and and is continuing to do. The fact that it is getting represented and, and included in that type of narrative, in that type of of context, and to to Charles, where you went, that's exactly the same place where my head was was going as finishing reading that that um that article and i think just to reiterate what you said it's for me anyway when i hear that expression that history is written by the victors it's usually in the context of thinking about well the people who won are the ones who then have uh are in power so they get to choose what's included in history books or not included in history books and frequently in the in the context of like american history and and what's uh what's frequently overwritten or excluded. Um, and so that understanding that the term in that sense, but it is also, and perhaps even more importantly in the sense that, uh, victory is, is history is written by the victors is that the actual writing itself, the actual telling of the narrative, the actual creation of perception, that, that work, that the building of a narrative is the actual key to victory. <laughs> that is, that is the, that is the, the, the mechanism by which victory is achieved because victory, and, and this is, this goes back to all the quotes that we were talking about in that journal article. I mean, Ennius wrote, victor is not, the victor is not victorious if the vanquished does not consider himself. So if, if the, the perception is not there, if it's not shared, if it's not enough of a, of a, uh, a ma- majority of the the people who are looking at this and saying, yeah, that's the person who won, or yeah, that's the new state of affairs, or yes, this is the new context that's been resolved. If that's not the perception, then <laughs> there wasn't a victory. Well, the, the, you see, this is, this is why last week, I believe I said something that, you know, we are, we're going to win the war. And I know it's sort of like, you know what, hey, oh my God, you know, Lady Sussex, what's wrong with you? It's, you shouldn't say that. And the reason why I say that, I just feel like, in my opinion, the Sussex Squad is not in a platform where all these so-called powerful people, all so-called that, you know, people, even the people that we are talking about feel very small. They feel very small. It's almost like sometimes at times feel like it's an unfair fight. And what I mean by unfair fight is, is that, you know what, we want them to bring it. There's nothing there. There is so many days, so many weeks that you can just talk about hate, 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 hate. Okay, we got it. What else? We got it. What else? What else do you have to offer? Where's the conversation there? What, what is it exactly? They, they, this is the problem. Okay, you want to talk about hate. Let's talk about hate. What is exactly that you hate? 
Or is it an envy? Is it a jealousy? Is it the fact that, you know, you actually, you don't hate at all. You actually love so much. And you ain't, it, it, it makes you inferior because it's not you. Because if there's somebody to hate here, it's not the person you try to throw that vile things about. It's actually you. You're speaking to you. Because that's how I'm looking at the media. I'm looking at a lot of these so-called pinhead that come out. And I call pinhead. Is that a word? Because I, I think I've heard it somewhere. Pinhead, right? I don't know what it means. I'm so sorry. God, but I heard it. But you're looking at these people. You see, you looked at Megan. She's everything they wish they could be, want to be. If it's part of all, whatever the amount, millions that they may have in the bank. Or the so-called power, the thing that they have. They looked at this woman. There's something. She got the beauty. She got the smarts. She got the connections. Everything that they have worked so hard for. And sometimes still feel like, you know what? The little boys that who try to get acknowledged and nobody sees. This is like the attention seeking that they want. And so they have nothing else to offer. I don't know if I'm articulating this really, really well. The way I would like to be in, you know, without sleep for 72 hours. But I just feel like we are in a different level. Mm -hmm. I think you're. I think you're exactly right. And and I would I would propose that we should flip that expression uh, on its head. And because of the fact is, it's true, and it's also describing what um, the entire Sussex Squad community has been doing because that is it is that work and it is not just that history is written by the victors but in fact that historians write the victory um and i think each of the sussex squad with the work that they've done to collect receipts and actually take the truth of what is happening and analyze it critically and talk about it and actually make sure that it's not just talking points but there's actual substance um, that is what is creating this change that we're seeing. That's why the the you can start to see the so-called journalists breaking ranks in terms of not not sticking to the talking points. That's why that victory is something that does appear to be something we're we're progressing toward. They have absolutely nothing to offer, and as I said again, yes, we hear it all the time: hate sell, hate sell, because. A lot of, of these people that was consuming all this hate mongering, all this hate, don't know any better. They don't know any better. I get it. But after a while, you're just like, okay, well, at least let me know. Tell me why you hate, why, why, why you hate that person. Even the person that was consuming that hate at some point will ask that question. Because for many of them, they hate a woman that they don't even know. They never met and they have no idea. They, you know, ask them any question about Megan. They will not know. Or oh, we hate Harry, 
but you don't know what it is that you actually really hate. Oh, because of family. But yet you're not talking about what his family has done to him. The fact that he stand up, he's doing something many of us would love to do. Because we either have been hurt by someone or even members of our family. And because for whatever reason we choose to upset the abuse. He has done a lot of, the, pretty much, I don't know who would not want to be able to fight back. And said, I don't care about the money. I don't care about the reputation. This is not right. This needs to stop. You guys have done it to my mother. You're not going to do it my, with my wife. And this is where it's end. Who would not admire that? Who would not want to be in a position like our last, you know, uh, um, commenter, she really well articulate that how many times that, you know, many of us have a job, we wish that, you know, we could walk away. We should, we wish that, you know, we, you know, sort of, you know, we say yes when we should say no. What not to love? What not to like? What, what, what is there that for us not to be inspired? So yes, keep hating, keep sending hate mail, keep doing, keep, keep just harass people. And I think what Harry, it's showing all of us, you too can believe. And that's all I will have to say. Unless you have more, I think we should... This is where we move to a wonderful verse, Charles, I know you have for us. Sure. So, like last week, I actually have two. Uh, the first is John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world... You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And the second verse is Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against all your enemies to give you the victory. Amen. And as we closing our service, Guy, I just want you, all of us to understand many of you have been in the fight, whether it's civil right, whether it's women right, whether it's LGBT right, all the rights out there, everyone that are fighting, the right to survive the right to love the right to leave the right to have a fair wages 
I just hope that we take a minute and we looked at what Harry has done and what Megan has done. Yes, they are in a better situation than many of us. But when you believe in something, when you care deeply about what is wrong, what is right, God has a way to get us to the finish end. And Judge going to close out with a hopefully, not hopefully, with a wonderful prayer. And we'll follow by a song many of us love, change, gonna come. Dear Lord, thank you so much for another week, another week to spend time with family, with loved ones, another week to spend working in service to make the world a better place. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Help us to remember that that is a privilege that we have. Please stay with everyone that is facing challenges and be with everyone who is confronting those challenges head on, be it the Sussex squad, be it Harry, Megan, Doria, all of the claimants in the court right now, be with everyone who is willing to pick up the mantle and fight, even if it's not easy, especially if it's not easy, to not just take the easy route out, to not just take the comfortable route, but to truly fight for not just yourself, but for your fellow humans. Thank you so much, and please stay with everyone and give comfort to those who are facing that struggle and remind them that they are not alone. Thank you, George. Happy Sunday, Sussexwad, Sussexwad Nation. Have a great day. Continue loving each other. Take care of your mental health. Because change is coming. Today.
Somebody keep telling me don't hang around. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes it will. Then I go to my brother. Say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. Oh, there have been But I know